Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Tay-Sequetum territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetum-Ulu. And today's text, Imogen Obviously, takes place in Penn Yan, New York, the traditional home of the Haudenosaunee and Seneca peoples. And Joe, mm-hmm. that's a real town, Penn Yan. Like, America's not real. <laughs> it's literally short for Pennsylvania Yankee. Like, what? Anyway. Yeah, that threw me <laughs> off. I hoped it wasn't a real place. It's a legit real place. And I think, Joe, before we talk about Imogen, obviously, I think we need to remind folks about the context around the author, Becky Albertelli, and what happened when Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda became such a huge success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was trying to reflect back on whether we really broached the conversation, because we obviously covered that text quite a bit after the fact. But I don't recall us really addressing the blowback that Albertelli had. So we talked about her a number of times on the show. Because we love her. Passing about how much <laughs> we love her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we're big fans of Becky Albertelli. And um, when Simon versus the Homo Sapiens agenda came out, and I think it was particularly first around the book, and I think there was some rehash of it at the time that the film came out. But yes, basically, there was a lot of frustration among readers that this was, you know, like, quote unquote, yet another straight white woman writing about queer culture. And that, you know, this is something that we've talked about on the show a lot, which is that there's a difference often between the kinds of queer teen stories that are actually written for queer teens and the kind that are written for like 30-year-old straight moms. And mm-hmm. um, people have accused Becky Albertelli's writing of being the latter because it tends to be pretty safe. It tends to be not particularly sexually explicit. And it tends mm-hmm. to be kind of framed by these worlds of like sort of supportive queerness, which I think there's, you know, there's no reason why that can't like exist, right? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a criticism. But I know, particularly as a member of the queer community, there is this feeling that, you know, as a a marginalized group, our stories get co-opted by other people, repackaged into a very sellable product, and then redistributed. And it's kind of like, well, why are other people telling our stories? And that sort of led to Becky Albertelli writing like a bit of a blog post and coming out in the media as bisexual. And a lot of folks really Mm -hmm. felt like she kind of got pushed into that, that it was as much about just like having people stop labeling her incorrectly um, as it was about her own choice to come out. And there was like an element of maybe, I think damage control is the wrong word, but like media spin around it. But it's really clear that like Becky Albertelli did not get to be in charge of her own coming out, that she was trying to sort of satisfy a particular media narrative that had spun up largely from like Goodreads, Tumblr, Mm -hmm. Bookstagram, that kind of a world. Yeah, it's a little ironic that we're having this conversation a week after addressing Heartstopper season two, because Mm -hmm. I, again, cannot remember. My brain is mush, as (laughs) folks who have been listening regularly know. (laughs) I'm just a big old mess. But 
obviously Heartstopper's Kit Connor had to end up coming out in the wake of the debut of Heartstopper season mm-hmm. one. So he's since come out as bisexual, but he was very much pushed, quote unquote, out of the closet by demanding fans who were more or less making the same argument like, oh, you're in the public eye and you're talking about queer stuff. We need to know exactly how you identify. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that's definitely what this book is really concerned about. Like, you can really see Albertelli working some of this out. Joe texted me and was like, so this is sort of like Becky Albertelli's therapy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She is working out her issues with this one. And you know what? Good for her because she's also doing it in a very entertaining and I would argue educational way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of important sort of queer community conversations happening in this book that I'm really excited and interested to get your take on, Joe, whether you find it successful or not. Because from the perspective of like a straight reader, I felt like I was getting a peek into some like intercommunity conversation that maybe really needs to happen, particularly among like Gen Z queer folk, maybe. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is a glimpse behind the curtain, Brenna. But maybe before (laughs) we dig into that, because I really do think that that's where the most interesting conversation lies with this book, which is to take nothing away from how enjoyably romantic and fluffy and just easily readable it is. But maybe before we dive into the politics of it, what is Imogen obviously all about? Yes. Okay, perfect. Yes, because we are going to talk about all that stuff. But on top of everything, maybe more than anything else, this is this is like vintage Becky Albertelli. You're going to root oh, for so characters good. to kiss. And <laughs> it's super fun. And everybody is genuinely coming from a good hearted place, even the most villainous character who mm-hmm. I will probably spend 20 minutes in this episode being mad at. But anyway, Ranting. yeah. Um, <laughs> So our central protagonist is Imogen Scott. And Imogen's in her last year of high school. It's March break, or I think they call it spring break in the States, Joe. And it's break from (laughs) high school. Everyone's looking ahead to where they're going off to university. And Imogen is going to go and spend a week uh, with her best friend, Lily, who is at the university that she is going to go to. And so it's like a big, exciting, like first visit to the university. At the same time, her other friend Gretchen is on a bit of a college tour. She can't quite decide where she wants to go. And so she's, you know, a lot of text messages back and forth about like all the different schools she's visiting. Imogen's whole identity at high school is like world's greatest ally. <laughs> like she's, she's a really proud supporter of her sister who is queer and has been proudly so since she was a small child out and mm-hmm. open and proud. All of her closest friends are sort of queer to some degree, and she's a big supporter of that community. She's like running the Gay Straight Alliance at her school. Um, even Lily, who had kind of only recently come out, has been like a benefactor of Imogen's super supportive nature. And one of the things that is sort of at play in the dynamic is that Imogen is a little bit concerned that she's a bit like water. She'll like conform to whatever container she gets put in. And that's fine with a lot of her social relationships. But with Gretchen, it's kind of a problem because Gretchen is a super strong personality. And so this is the backdrop upon which Imogen arrives at this like stay over at the university where it turns out a plot twist. Um, Lily has told everyone that Imogen is her ex-girlfriend because Lily is newly out as pansexual and was feeling super insecure arriving at university, having never actually had a girlfriend. So she makes up this whole backstory between her and Imogen, which she obviously has all the pictures to 
back up because they've been best friends since they were really tiny children. Mm-hmm. Lily offers to come clean right away and to sort of live the consequences of what's happened. But Imogen's like, nope, it's okay. We can just kind of play it by ear as this weekend goes along. And so that's what they do. And so Imogen kind of just gets accepted for the first time, not as the world's greatest ally, but as just one of the queer kids in this incredibly, like, movie-perfect constellation of the coolest queer 20-somethings and 19-year-olds you could ever possibly meet. It's like, Joe was like, there are too many friends. And it's a fair (laughs) criticism. There are a lot of friends, and they're all fabulous in all kinds of different ways, and they're all very supportive. Yes, they are a great group. I think my gripe to you was that even though the size of the group actually isn't that big, you know, we've got Micah, who is a non-binary Japanese-American TikTok star. We've got Declan and Kayla. And then, of course, there is Tessa, who becomes our lesbian love interest for Imogen when Imogen starts to realize, hey, maybe I'm not as straight as I have always been told I was. But I think my issue is that at the end of the day, this is a book that's really only about Imogen, Lily, Tessa, and Gretchen. And, you know, Edith, the younger sister, pops up to run interference because obviously the minute that Gretchen starts to realize that Imogen is cautiously feeling out a change of labels, she pounces because Gretchen Mm -hmm. is the very politicized queer. So she is a lesbian. She's a woman of color. So it's been kind of a defining factor. Like she can't pass successfully. And that's a huge issue among certain members of the queer community where it's like, you don't get to come out because people clock you and then they treat you differently. So Gretchen has that chip where Mm -hmm. she's a little angry. She's a little bit defensive. She's very political. She's very radical. And this rubs people like Edith and eventually Tessa and to a lesser extent Imogen the wrong way because she just like she can't let people be themselves and figure their stuff out. She wants them in their respective boxes and never shall anyone move. Yeah, the sort of defining moment of this experience is a conversation that took place before Lily comes out when a new kid shows up at their queer club at school and doesn't want to give themselves pronouns or labels. They're just Mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to tell you my name. And it makes Gretchen extremely uncomfortable. And Lily's response is like, well, how do you know they're not queer? Because Gretchen's perspective is like, this person is making my queer space unsafe. Mm -hmm. And it's actually like... It's actually really complicated because Gretchen is extremely abrasive, but she's not (laughs) always wrong, right? And I think Mm -hmm. she's a really interesting character from that perspective because on the one hand, we love Imogen. As readers, we're rooting for her coming out story and we're rooting for her to find this romance with Tessa, which is what the romantic part of the book is all about. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to villainize Gretchen. But a lot of the things, I mean, Gretchen thinks literally everything is problematic. So she's also exhausting (laughs) from that perspective. It's like, I still remember Hannah McGregor saying one time, it was when Animal Crossing came out and someone had like a whole discourse on Twitter about how it's all, it's colonialism. Like the whole game of Animal Crossing is colonialism. Mm -hmm. And Hannah was like, yeah, that's great. We all went to grad school. We all know how to ruin things. Like... (laughs) 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 Gretchen has that vibe for me. Yep. But I think 
you know, in many ways, this is not, I mean, it's a romance because it's a Becky Albertalli book, obviously. But Joe, the more I think about it, the more I think that this is a book about a friendship triangle that ends mm. up complicated by a romance. Because, like, the tension between Gretchen and Lily yes. has always created this difficult position for Imogen to be in. And it's kind of like Lily goes off to university and it's just Imogen and Gretchen. So Imogen becomes a lot more like gretchen E, and it's mm-hmm. not until she's kind of released from that very controlling dynamic that she actually does get to start exploring who she is as a person absolutely and initially when i started reading the book i thought why the plot mechanism where we've got one friend who's away at college or university and the other two are still in high school like it felt really artificial to me mm-hmm. and i thought it was just you know oh so we can have some of the drama of i can't see Tessa, my love interest all the time. And that just creates, you know, some some conflict and some hurdles that we have to get over. And it absolutely does end up playing a factor. But I think you're right. The other significant thing is that Imogen needs to get away from Gretchen and mm-hmm. what happens to her when she can finally start to explore facets of herself that Gretchen has literally been telling her, no, that's not you. You don't get to be this thing because I have decided you are just a straight ally. And it's it's interesting because we really do watch as Imogen figures out for herself that Gretchen is controlling her, right? And it's mm-hmm. it's really powerful from like a character development perspective. But the whole time I was reading it, I kind of felt, I don't know, mm-hmm. uncomfortable in my straight ladiness because oh, okay. there are a lot of things that Gretchen articulates that I do. Well, that I... I understand Imogen's reaction to. So, like, for example, Imogen's obsessed with the movie. Yes, it's uh, But I'm a Cheerleader. And, yeah, so she's obsessed with this, like, older movie, millennial, cheerleader, queer coming out movie. And even though she loves it, she can't ever talk about it because Gretchen thinks it's problematic because it's about Mm -hmm. the straight gaze or whatever. And, like, like, we've had those conversations on the show before, Joe. Like, I certainly get all the reference points, but... Imogen's willingness to totally defer all of her opinions to like the own voices reading. Like this mm-hmm. is something you and I talk about all the time because all I the am time. <laughs> I am very likely to do that, right? Like I am very likely to be like, oh, but this person says this about it, Joe. So I don't know. I don't know what I think anymore. Well, and I think even you did that at the beginning of this episode where you said you were very interested to see how I responded to some of these things. And I think that that's an important piece of recognition, which is just because you don't self-identify as a member of a group doesn't mean that you don't get to have an opinion on it. Mm. I would argue, and I say this all the time on Horror Queers, it's just that you need to be way more cautious and try to educate yourself as much as possible or recognize your privilege and your positionality before making bold assertions. So... Brenda, you get to read this book and have a straight white lady reading of it. That's perfectly reasonable. It's when you say like, oh, well, I don't know about blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, maybe that's where the overstep happens. But the reality is that all media is for everybody. It's just that it's going to connect with certain people in different ways because of their lived experiences. But it doesn't negate your ability to talk about something because if so then, you know, only black people could consume Angie Thomas stories or only bisexual women could read Becky Albertelli books. And that's not real. 
And in many ways, we've seen in this book how Imogen's desire to be a perfect ally and to make space for everybody else means that she has made no space for herself, right? Like it's almost from the sublime to the ridiculous. Like there's one point where she watches a movie and she can't decide what she thinks about it because she can't find anything online about it yet. Mm -hmm. And that was a little close to home. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I mean, I think it's also a testament to you and I and to a lesser extent Imogen where we're so plugged in to what other people are thinking and we want to make sure that we're considering all the different responses and being mindful even of people's feelings and trying not to overstep. And I think, unfortunately, that is a result of people like Gretchen, Mm -hmm. where they say, you know, you can't make a step out of line or else I will quote unquote cancel you. And I I think this is the most powerful aspect of Albertelli's book here is that there are a lot of queer Gretchens who are literally up there gatekeeping to the point that people can't even find themselves. Or there's queer people who are afraid of making a misstep within their own community. Like, it's not about solidarity. It's about exclusion. And it's actually really dangerous. Yeah, and I think that's what we see here, right? Is that Imogen can articulate a whole history of like, crushes on girls and mm-hmm. and maybe you want to talk about the shop talk example a little bit joe but like right she invalidates all of her own experience because she doesn't want to sort of step out of the box that gretchen has drawn around her mm-hmm. and it's interesting too i actually think this might be one of albertelli's best books i think we're seeing her become a more sophisticated storyteller with this book because 100 yeah as much as i said gretchen isn't always wrong Gretchen is also definitely not always right. And she's not a kind (laughs) person, right? Like there's this great example where she gets into like, she really upsets. I'll let you give give space for you to talk about the shop talk thing. But like when Mm -hmm. that upsets Edie so much, Gretchen like pretends that nothing happened. And and so that's also like, that's also a form of invalidation too, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. So the Shop Talk reference here is a Netflix movie that has come out and everybody was a big fan of it. It's a queer story, but the lead actress, Kara Clapstone, was straight. So it's basically a gender flip version of Love, Simon or Becky Albertelli's own book. And one of the interesting things that happens over the course of the narrative is that Kara Clapstone ends up coming out. So Gretchen's big complaint that everybody was watching this queer love story featuring straight actors becomes invalidated because the actress actually is queer. It's just that she didn't identify as such at the time. And this is so complex and so fascinating. We're seeing it happen all the time. Honestly, Heartstopper is a great example Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, I think this is Albertelli working out some of the issues and some of the responses that she had to Simon and the Homo sapiens agenda. But the most fascinating aspect of this, as you said, is how Gretchen refuses to acknowledge that she could ever be wrong. So she still yeah. maintains that she was right, because nothing has changed about that film. Like it was still made by a quote unquote, straight actress, because that's not how Kara Clapstone identified, which is horrible like Mm -hmm. that literally invalidates this woman and she's not a character like we don't know Kara Clapson it's not like she's part of the narrative except that she's part of this discourse everyone's having but this idea that you're not actually queer until you come out is so problematic and you know if Gretchen was 
being responsive, she would actually recognize how damaging the gatekeeping that she's doing or how hypocritical she is. But she can't because she has to be on the soapbox and she has to be right because it is such an integral part of her identity. Well, and there's there's one point where Imogen says to Gretchen, like, you know that closeted isn't the same as straight, right? Mm-hmm. And Gretchen basically is like, well, whatever. Like, she totally yeah. shrugs it off. And, yes. and that idea of, like, being given enough space to discover who you are is really critical. Mm-hmm. And it's really where Gretchen is, like, the most villainous, right? Well, Yes. Okay, we should probably talk well, about the scene where Gretchen's the most villainous. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the pancake scene? Yes. Okay, <laughs> so this is a fascinating uh, coming out-ish scene because right. Imogen is simultaneously outed and kind of comes out. Like, it's both at once, um, mm-hmm. but all of it is predicated on the fact that Gretchen arrives. I mean, she literally shows up. To do this. Yeah, she wants to confront Imogen, and she does it publicly. It's so mean. So Imogen has tried to confess her crush on Tessa to Gretchen, and she gets totally shut down. Gretchen's mm-hmm. basically like, that's not a crush. Oh, by the way, here's another interesting thing about Gretchen. Like, mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be probably thinking about this if we hadn't just watched Heartstopper, but totally aromantic asexual erasure, right? Because oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gretchen's whole definition of whether you're queer or not is if you want to F that person. And like, yep. Imogen is Imogen is so not there, like maturity-wise, like life-wise. And so if that's her line, then Imogen's not attracted to anyone, right? Right. But that's also still part of the queer experience. Like, look at the letters in the alphabet there, Gretchen. Yeah. Like the A is there, so is the Q. That's where yeah. Imogen is at at the beginning of the book. Well, yeah, and I'm sort of fascinated by in many ways, like what a bad ally Gretchen is because she Mm -hmm. doesn't know how to make space for anybody who hasn't had very much the specific exact struggle that she has had, right? Because one of the things that Lily points out, because Imogen makes a lot of space for Gretchen based on the fact that she's had, she had a difficult coming out period. She Mm -hmm. had a really difficult time at her previous high school. Right. And Lily's like, yeah, but everybody has bits right like i can't talk to my grandmother about who i am like we all have that stuff but gretchen doesn't reflect on that for anybody but herself i'm like Mm -hmm. oh yeah anyway it's tough right because there's this horrifying incident that happens that imogen frequently comes back to there's a moment in a movie theater bathroom where Mm -hmm. gretchen tried to tell a girl hey basically you've tucked your dress into your underwear you shouldn't go out before you fix that and she can't even get the words out because this girl identifies gretchen as a queer woman and says i'm not interested i don't know how to make it more obvious and then she just leaves it's awful, right? And I love that it's kind of, it's everything while simultaneously also being low stakes, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not a hate crime. It's not, oh my god, it's not a hate crime. Like, oh, well, that's the worst possible thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's a horrifying experience because it is so innocuous, right? It should just be Gretchen trying to help this girl, and this girl is so horrible to her, simply yeah. because she is queer. I really appreciate the quotidian nature of that interaction because, like, it isn't violent. It isn't mm. anything that you could, like, go and tell an adult about. It's like no. these kids 
are they have to resolve this completely on their own and it's at the same time absolutely devastating for Gretchen it's so harmful like this is the kind of experience that queer people particularly young queer people are going to internalize and it just comes up you know I'm willing to bet that whenever Gretchen meets a new person Mm -hmm. this is one of the things that she flashes back to you know am I gonna have to deal with this kind of thing and it can be so damaging right like that's what's so difficult about being a marginalized person Mm -hmm. is that these things stick with you like microaggressions and little traumas can just really add up and that's why we can give Gretchen a certain amount of leeway because we understand her implicitly as a character. It's just that she's also garbage, awful, terrible <laughs> to Imogen at the same time. It's fascinating. It's so, so well done. But Brenna, I want to jump to the end. I recognize we're not talking about the romance at all, folks. It's great. It's lovely. It's very charming. Yes. Perfect dates up the wazoo so many perfect dates so much like waiting for the perfect kiss so sweet between the two of them and also not Mm -hmm. even remotely the most interesting thing in the book which is i think why this is such a departure for albert alley like Mm -hmm. i've never read a book of hers that offers so much complexity and so many interesting characters beyond the sort of central love interest it's it's really good But it's hidden. That's the weirdest part. Like, I went into this thinking, it's fluffy. It's cute. You know, I'm really loving the writing because it's Albertelli. Of course I am. And I just got so sucked into the kind of secret drama that's going on. Like, this is not about Imogen and Tessa. This is barely even about Imogen's coming out. Yeah. It's more about Imogen's relationship with Gretchen and how that prevented her from coming out. But then we get to the ending. So Gretchen basically burns this diner to the ground when she confronts slash outs Imogen, who, of course, in the eyes of everybody at the table, was already out because she's been living this lie, which, of course, is not actually a lie because she actually does now identify as bisexual. But it's so mean the way she does it, right? Because Gretchen targets Tessa. She's like, Mm -hmm. so Tessa, would you ever be with a bisexual woman? And Tessa's like, yep. And Gretchen's like, yeah, but don't you just feel like they're faking it? Because that's what I think a lot of people think. And it's just, it, it gets meaner from there. And it's like, it's like watching a slow motion car accident. It's so horrifying. It and yet also very satisfying. <laughs> so Lily and Edith both get so, so, so mad at Gretchen. And Imogen almost completely shuts down. Like mm-hmm. she goes with Tessa and the secret gets revealed eventually and blah 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 and it's all it ends up being fine to have this magical kiss in front of like a giant pancake maker thing Mm -hmm. pancakes figure really heavily in this book it's great this book made me very hungry simultaneously (laughs) (laughs) but i love that at a certain point gretchen clearly realizes she done effed up and Mm. she keeps trying to call imogen she keeps trying to come by and see her And Imogen really doesn't want to have that conversation. Like, she needs time to figure out how she's feeling about herself, but also about Gretchen. And the book ends with her accepting Gretchen's apology, but not accepting her back as a friend. And it's unclear whether she ever will. Yeah. And I loved it. I really loved it, too. We've talked on the show before about how there's, like, 
not enough YA about friend breakups Mm -hmm. and how devastating friend breakups are, especially in young adult years. And this is a really good depiction of like, what do you do? And like, Mm -hmm. not forcing Imogen to make a final choice that is sort of the Hollywood ending final choice for the friendship, I think is really powerful. Because one of the lessons that Imogen has learned is actually that Gretchen's never apologized to her for anything anything nope and she barely apologizes for this like it even takes mm-hmm. her several texts Attempts. to come yep. up with i'm sorry because i think what's the first one like i'm sorry if you're hurt and it's like oh my god oh the non-apology of it mm-hmm. and i i love that lily is so <laughs> incensed by everything like lily really does not get along with gretchen to no. the point where there's a, a combative friction between the two where you can see that they're fighting for imogen's affection and friendship (laughs) there's a little angel devil action yeah (laughs) but i do love this idea that part of imogen's journey of discovery is you know okay who do i want to be what kind of friendship group do i want to be a part of but also am i willing to go back under gretchen's thumb Mm -hmm. you know like she she doesn't hate gretchen the way that lily does you could very clearly tell that lily would prefer she never forgive or Mm -hmm. speak with gretchen again and that's not lily's decision to make either but i love that imogen has to decide you know i understand why gretchen did all this but do I still want her to be a part of my life? Or now that I am comfortable enough with who I am, do I get the right to say, you don't deserve to be part of my narrative anymore? It's so powerful because we've all had these friendships with people who they already have an idea of who you are, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, even at 40, I have moments sometimes where someone says something to me and I'm like, oh, that's my character in your head. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not who I really am, but I'll let you run with that, I guess. And so it's really fascinating to see that dynamic play out on the page. Because I'm not sure Mm -hmm. that I have before, outside of the context of, like, a thriller where someone ends up being, like, trying to steal your face or whatever. Like, this is a really... (laughs) (laughs) This is a really honest interrogation of what it means to be friends with someone who who is making a lot of identity decisions for you, who doesn't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. And the wildest thing is that if people didn't know who Becky Albertalli is, and they didn't look at the cover of the book or something, if they just listened to our discussion of this, they would probably think, oh, this is like a deeply politicized, you know, queer book about friendship. (laughs) It's It's really not. I cannot stress enough how this is a bubblegum pink. <laughs> it literally is. Even the hardcover, like if you take the dust jacket off, the hardcover I think is white with pink writing. It's very bubblegummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like you're reading a legally blonde style mm-hmm. book. Only Albertelli has managed to bury this this secret narrative in there. That is just so hugely compelling. And it's not like it's buried so deeply that the average reader is going to miss all of this nuance or something like very frank, open discussions. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I don't know that you could walk away saying, oh, I, I love the romance. And that's yeah. all this book is like you walk away thinking that romance was super cute. And also, wow, we need to talk about Gretchen. When I read this right when it came out back in May, I texted you, Joe, and I was like, we have to do this on the show, if only because I need to unpack Gretchen with you. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but 
that she's such a good villain. Like, yes. not in that she's not the villain. She's just someone who's had a lot of difficult life experiences and mm-hmm. she's choosing a really antisocial way of coping with that, right? She's choosing Absolutely. to be super controlling of the people around her as a way to protect herself from things that she's been through in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'm really... I don't know. I just can't get over the difference in the characterization here compared to something like Simon versus the Homo sapiens gender, which obviously I loved. But like Mm -hmm. the characters here are so much more complex and interesting and layered. And the challenges these characters are facing within the exact same age demographic, so Mm -hmm. much more attentive to like just larger social issues. But again, never in a kind of movie of the week way. I just like I'm just really impressed by this book, Joe. I'm really pleased to see Albertalli not just churning out the mm-hmm. same thing over and over again, but really challenging herself to f- tackle some complex conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. Because even when we read Simon versus the Homo sapien agenda, you know, the romance and the characterizations was not the issue that we had in that book. It was about the kind of grossness of the blackmail scheme and how it felt at odds with a lot of the other things she was trying to accomplish. Whereas here, this feels like a much more organic, natural way of fusing two very different kind of agendas into one book, Mm -hmm. but doing it so, so much stronger. Um, You know, there's none of the sort of waffling or narratives being at odds with one another. It mm-hmm. really flows and works well together. It's a complementary book in that fashion. Yeah, I really recommend folks pick it up, especially, you know, in the waning days of summer. This is a great sit on the back deck, sit on the beach kind of read. Yeah, and I read this in five hours. Oh, I read yeah, this fast. on the train ride between Toronto and Montreal, picked it up, was like, I'll read a little bit and then get to something else. Just never put it down. Yeah, because it is. It is. It's it's vintage Albertelli in its breezy, grippy style, and you are you're gonna love the kissing. We're just we're just not talking mm-hmm. about it today. But the kissing is great. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> kissing is great. Tessa's a fantastic character. I loved her. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, Joe. Shall we put a pin in it there? Yeah, I feel like we're not gonna have a similar conversation like this every week. But uh, where are we headed next? Joe, we are heading to a cultural phenom that I had totally missed out on until now. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. Classic me. So we're <laughs> reading and watching the adaptation of Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is coming out on Amazon like imminently. And um, this is another fun read. It's another mm-hmm. actually, we really are in our sort of like questioning moment, aren't we, Joe? We're really exploring mm-hmm. texts about not just coming out, but like rediscovering like whole parts of your identity, which is a big theme these days so that's where we're Indeed. heading to next but this was a little a lot a lot more graphic than a becky albertelli story <laughs> yes a lot more punny i feel yes and firmly new adult right and then after that it's book club with alana the first adventure people seem very excited that we're finally doing tamara pierce joe so i'm excited mm-hmm. to make people happy unfortunately if you're hearing this now you've missed the window for writing in about that text. Um, But we hope you'll listen in. And then I think we're going to take a little bit of a book club break, but we'll tell you more about that. Indeed. Yes. So until next time, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the Twitters at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? Uh, I can be reached at B, still my remote, and that's the letter B. 
And I torched my Twitter account in a fit of peak. Sure did, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm at Brenna C. Gray on Blue Sky, which no one is on, mm-hmm. um, but I'm at Mittenstrings on Instagram. So feel free to find me there. And if you've got something <laughs> more long form, you can always email us. We will never torch our Gmail account. It's hkhspod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joe. Yes. As always, I'm delighted to be your problematic straight ally. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Brenna. If you ever need to explore the boundaries of that, I promise not to box you in. <laughs> much appreciated uh and until then i will see you on the page and i will see you on the screen it's more about imogen's relationship with gret it's more about imogen's relationship with gretchen Why can't yeah i not say that name yeah and the wildest thing is that i feel like if people didn't know who albertelli oh my god i cannot speak today and the wildest thing is that if people didn't know who are... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>